Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Anthony Morigliata Show, the premier New Jersey-based politics podcast. Today's topic is something that does not really get a lot of attention in the media, and that is the ongoing opioid epidemic. The opioid epidemic has been on for many years, and many people have um, died, unfortunately, of drug overdoses. Um, Me personally, um, someone who I went to high school with um, passed away earlier this year because of a drug overdose. It's truly um, a sad, sad thing that's going on. Joining me today is Dr. Arun Gupta. He's uh, an expert on the opioid epidemic, and he joins us now. Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for joining. Anthony, uh, thanks for inviting me to the show. Glad to be here. So the opioid epidemic, as I mentioned before, has been going on for many years. Uh, How long will it take to end, or is this something that's going to last forever? Well, I've been uh, learning and practicing addiction medicine since 2006. In the year 2017, CDC made two statements that in 2017, 70,000 people had died from drug overdose. That is about 200 per day. They also made another statement that more than 700,000 people have died in America from drug overdose from 99 to 2007. Today, as of the end of 2021, we have 108,000 young, healthy Americans die from drug overdose, and that's about 300 per day. And that's close to 30 to 40% pre-COVID to during COVID increasing the overdose deaths. So when that statement came out in 2017, one of my senior uh-huh. hospital friends uh, and a nurse administrator asked me a question, Dr. Gupta, when is all this going to end? And I was faced that question for the first time. I did not have a good answer. I'm sorry to tell you, my answer was when everybody dies. She looked at me, I looked at her, and I could read in her eyes that she wanted me to do something about it to to stop it. Uh, I started researching, I wrote a book. It took me two years instead of, I thought I could do it in six months. Uh, It came out just three months ago. Uh, things are getting progressively worse. It's not getting any better. In my book, The Preventable Epidemic and my experience and recommendations how to solve this problem uh, gives an outline uh, how to salvage this problem. So we can do it if we have the will and desire to do it. Unfortunately, the book came out. Uh, A lot of people are reading it. I am Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller on my title on the book. I am Barnes and Noble's number one and Amazon number one, despite the fact the media and the policymakers are not willing to talk. So I have to do this uh, podcast things and, and make extra efforts to spread the message around to stop the stupidity of accepting that young, healthy Americans can die. Currently, according to CDC, 41 million people are at risk of dying only 2.4 million have access to care uh, with MAT, medication-assisted treatment, from providers like me. Rest 39 million people have no access to care. And only 1% of the providers provide this service. Rest 99% of the doctors, PAs, and NPs are not interested in learning and practicing addiction medicine. If we do not understand these roadblocks and these problems, 
will never solve this uh, problem. And it's been going on for centuries, not, not just decades, but it's getting progressive right. worse. Right. Um, I, I was saying, we definitely have to um, read your book, um, you know, The Parental Epidemic. It's um, definitely a great read, and um, I, I highly recommend that um, we all um, read it. Um, so next, um, during the Trump administration, President Trump created the Opioid and Drug Abuse Commission, which was chaired by former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, and he served while he was still in office. Should the Biden administration bring back this commission? Well, I, I read those documents, uh, and um, uh, it was not an academic thing. It was something had to be done. And uh, if I remember that, there was a hotel guy who was made responsible to uh, use his hotel experience to do this. It's not going to work uh, with people who are not in the field of what this problem is. I would say you can bring commissions back, but I, in my book, give reasons what are the problems. And I could tell you what the problems are. The first problem is Harrison Narcotic Tax Act of 1914. It said a few things. The important things that I need to mention is one, addiction is not curable, it's a moral failing. Second thing is that in the professional course of a doctor cannot prescribe another addictive drug for an addictive condition. Even though the Supreme Court in 1962 said, addiction is not a moral failing, it's a chronic treatable disease, the policymakers and the insurance companies have done not much to fix that notion. The, we do not have any medicine to counteract the narcotic problem that is not a scheduled drug. So the first line of the Harrison Narcotic Act, we need to reverse it, cancel it, expunge it, or create a new law. If we don't have a non-addictive medicine or abusive medicine, then that creates a big problem uh, for policymakers and us to provide care. The second problem that everybody talks about is the stigma towards the disease. Now, keeps on, everybody keeps on talking. Let's remove the stigma. It's not like I have... Uh, a patchwork that is bad on my wall that I need to put a new coat and paint and then fix it. There has to be a process developed to remove the stigma. Just everybody's saying remove the stigma is not going to work. This, in, in the stigma also, there is stigma towards the disease and there's stigma towards treatment. There are a lot of forces that do not allow or permit or think it is good to substitute one medicine for another condition. That is the only way people are going to stay alive. The third problem in the stigma is stigma towards the treated people. I have hundreds and hundreds of patients that are doing very well for 15, 16 years. New come and go, but they are afraid to come out and because they may not have told their grandparents or at work or their children, so if the media keeps on showing another person dead with a needle in the arm or a filthy or they're homeless, then the person addicted has no motive to, to get better. The third problem is that the treatment arm called Suboxone or MAT, in 2005, the federal government made a diversion control plan 
and said, this medicine is too much on the street and we do not want that to happen. They were not look for the last 17 years that the people who are in treatment are doing very well. The reason the Suboxone is on the street is because the rest 39 million do not have access to doctors like me or a prescription uh, through a pharmacy. So that creates a need for diversion. Now think of this way. Diabetes is a medical condition in which people have high sugar. The incidence of diabetes is roughly the same in North America as about the addictions. Now everybody that has diabetes or high blood sugar has a doctor or group of doctors from primary care to endocrinologists to affecting different conditions uh, in the patient's body. And they have effective medicines available. Now, we have an effective medicine available in America since 2002. Unfortunately, 95% of the patients with addiction do not have access to doctors like me or have access to the medication. Imagine if that would be the condition with diabetes, we would be in a big mess. That's exactly the mess we have in addiction. You sure would be in a big mess. It's um, it's something that we really need to solve. So next, um, so how many opioid-related deaths um, were also COVID-related deaths? Uh, I know you touched on this a little bit um, before. So what happened is the first time CDC started recording the deaths was in the year 1999. It was total 16,000 deaths from different kinds of poisonings. It was not necessarily just drugs. And then every year the death rate kept on going up. By 2010, it was like uh, 30,000, uh, 32,000 in 2011. And before COVID in 2017, it was up to 70,000 per year. Now, 17 and 18, we started pushing a lot of Narcan and the death rate went down to 68,000. And then they did not release the data publicly for a couple of years and then COVID happened. And they would release the data from March to March, May to May. And the numbers were increasing from 90 to 92 to 93,000. Even for 2021, they started with 100,000, 103,000, 104,000. Last week, they said 108,000. So, and, and these are directly only related to uh, drug overdose. These are not COVID deaths. COVID deaths, everybody knows, is topped a million already. Uh, that's separate thing. And we have life expectancy in America was decreasing when this drug problem started by 0.1 uh, per year, 0.1% per year. So average life expectancy was... 78.6, but with COVID and these young people dying, uh, we our life expectancy is now down by 2.6 years. Wow, that's uh, very, very tragic. Um, so next, um, do you know anyone who was personally affected by the opioid epidemic? Well, I see hundreds and hundreds of patients. Right. And, and But not, not in my family. Well, you mean COVID or drugs? I'm sorry. Um, no, opioids, drugs. Opioids. No, nothing in my family uh, directly. Uh, I, so I'm, I'm just as a physician. My job is my uh, responsibility is to keep people healthy and uh, alive if possible. Uh, too many young people are dying. And as a physician and as a vocation, my vocation, it's, I wanted to do, give something back to the community 
that I researched. I, I, I wrote a book. Uh, thank God we don't have any issues. Uh, my three kids are adults and they're doctors and I'm giving back to the community. That's what I'm doing. Awesome. Good to, good to see um, you know, your kids following the uh, family tree. Um, so um, has the opioid epidemic gotten worse um, since President Biden took office in January 2021? Well, I mean, the... The right now, the biggest offending agent is the street fentanyl. Now let's talk about fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl has been a class two drug used in the hospital setting by the surgeons just before a procedure. They give IV fentanyl, do the surgery, 15, 20 minute, half an hour, whatever it takes. They shut the fentanyl down, patient is, wakes up and is pain-free and goes home. We guys in the office used the fentanyl patch and that gave pain control for 72 hours. So people were not able to abuse the pills six, eight, 10, 12 a day to control their pain. So in 2014, we started seeing that the fentanyl is showing up in the people's drug test. And we is, had no idea about this illegal fentanyl. So we started taking people off the fentanyl and doing pain control by some other medications. Three years later, we found out that this fentanyl is primarily coming from China. Some of the labs were ordering directly into this country, um, whether legal or illegal, I do not know, but that was the problem. Now it's coming freely from the open borders and that is what's causing the biggest problem right now is because they've confiscated so much fentanyl already that could kill everybody. I've been told two times, I've been told 10 times over, everybody in America could be dead. There's so much fentanyl in this country already from illegal smuggling to the South border. Right, yeah, that's where all the, that's where they're all coming from. Um, that, that's definitely also um, easy to resolve, but I don't think it will be anytime soon as long as Biden is in office. Uh, and lastly, um, what is some advice you would give to someone who is addicted or feels that they are addicted? Well, I think when the HIV problem started, AIDS problem started about 40 some years ago, it took researchers, scientists and policymakers uh, and the pharmaceutical companies to come up with a proper diagnosis, proper testing and a proper medication. At that time it was called HAART. Uh, and before that medicine came out, half a million Americans had died from AIDS. Now 400,000 people are alive and doing well on that medication or the newer medication that have been recently approved in the last few years. So my concern was we have an effective medicine and why are people dying? It should be the same thing as in HIV and AIDS problem as is the addiction. But since there's so many unnecessary limits, regulations, and oversight, we are restricted to provide care. Patients do not know where to get help, and nobody's parading, demanding, asking questions. So I started a foundation called Resolve America Opioid Epidemic Foundation. We're trying to get a status uh, for 501c3. It may happen in the next day, in a week or two. And all the proceeds from the sales of the book is going into the foundation to educate and advocate the media and the policymakers. Now I want public to stand up and demand that the government should create the proper policies so that 
all these 39 million people who are at risk of dying in the next decade or two have access to doctors like me and they need to educate, uh, find ways to educate the doctors. They need to take this diversion control plan away and drop the cost of these boxes to a dime. I'm a member of the Rotary International. I'm going to Houston uh, on June 6th uh, to talk at an international level on this topic. And there are more than a million Rotarians in this country. So if we decriminalize this vaccine, make it a, a commodity, and drop the cost to a dime, I could promise you that 1 million plus Rotarians will make sure that uh, we can provide Suboxone the treatment to everybody that needs it so that they don't have to look for heroin or a deadly fentanyl anymore. Right. Um, before we head out, um, I wanted to touch on your book on the preventable epidemic. Um, so what are the main topics that you talk about in your book? Well, uh, there are 40 chapters in the book. Um, my personal journey of uh, uh, being raised in India, came here and, um, um, and did my studies and my struggle as, uh, uh, as a physician may be an underlying thing. Um, so then there are, uh, I'm explaining all the ways the morphine and the addiction and the treatments and the epidemic work. There are a lot of good stories about the patients. Uh, uh, we talk about Adela 2000, which is an important thing to discuss because when in 1999, when, when CDC first time reported that 16,000 people had died, the federal government was 106 at the time, debated this topic for two years. And at the end of uh, year 2000, they passed this law. Now, I would believe that they probably were looking into, should we change the curriculum in the medical schools? And they probably did not go that route. So what they did is they said, any practicing physician could take a course, pass an exam, apply for an XDE number, that's the route how I self-learned myself in 2006. But there's so many limits, regulations, and oversight, and over 1,000 doctors have been shut down, so the others pay notice. Why should they go to jail or lose the license or become homeless and be humiliated for taking care of these very difficult patients and a very deadly condition? So those are the kind of problems that need to be fixed. So I explained what Data 2000 is. It, is. it was the right law, but the government did not entice doctors enough, but they put a lot of roadblocks and that scared the doctors. So there's chapters of uh, storage of, uh, shortage of uh, trained doctors. Um, it explains how good job the American Society of Addiction Medicine does in training who want to train people for addiction. But unfortunately that uh, training is not available to the other 99% of the doctors who are not providers. Let me give you an example. So if I go to an addiction meeting because I'm licensed to be an addiction doctor, I can attend their meetings and I've attended probably say over a hundred in my life where somebody else is speaking and I'm being in the audience. And I've tried to take my other friends to learn addiction, but they're not allowed to enter because they're not 
members of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. Now, I have done six presentations on my own, on my time, on my time, that has been attended by over a hundred physicians each time. Uh, why? And they were from different specialties because they paid for their meals. I didn't pay for. I was not paid for my my educating them. And, and, and there is no law. So the laws, the sunshine laws and all the laws after that have been created are creating hindrance for doctors to learn addiction medicine. Um, there's a chapter on a town hall meeting in Ypsilanti that happened in May of uh, uh, 2019, where University of Michigan and Harvard uh, and a lot of policymakers at the national level participated in it. There was a lot of good discussion and nothing happened after that. The threats are going up. Um, I have a chapter on everybody who's not an expert saying they're an expert. Uh, we have um, a chapter on laws only apply to those who cannot afford to fight them. So there's a, a mention of in this chapter about the Purdue Pharmaceutical how they ended up circumventing, and that is, uh, you probably see now, people have seen this dope sick serial that came out on Hulu about three months ago. It's very disturbing, and uh, my book is a relief uh, because I provide uh, how to salvage this problem. Um, drug testing, uh, we have a drug called uh, uh, neurontin or gabapentin. And um, so three years ago, our state of Michigan, our new governor at that time, uh, first law she passed was that um, uh, this drug is going to be a narcotic because uh, when people were dying, they either had it in their uh, urine drug test or they had it in the pocket. So it became a nightmare for doctors to write this medication. Uh, to store in the nursing home to the hospital. It did not improve access to care and it did not um, uh, reduce the death rate. So in academic setting, these things are called like knee-jerk reactions. Um, there's a chapter on a Vermont model from a state of Michigan in early 2010s. They had a pilot study on Medicaid, on Medicaid patients and it was a very comprehensive model. Have a lot of have been spoken from different angles. All the people with addiction that they have issues, whether it's social, financial, um, legal, any kind of uh, issues they have. So this model takes care of it. Uh, and it, it touted one thing that MAT medication treatment is a gold standard for treating addictions. The cost of the cure was twice as much on a Medicaid scale which most insurances were not able to sustain uh, on, uh, on, their, on their fee schedule. So it is very good, but uh, it does not help. I have a story on a, uh, we have a local church here on Oaks of Righteousness and the work they do uh, provide housing, food, shelter, nutrition, um, some addiction treatment. Um, I have a chapter on AMA that uh, uh, I say lacks unity, voice, and a purpose. Um, uh, I was uh, recently, um, a couple of months ago, as my book came out, recommended to talk to a uh, board member of AMA, and they promised me they'll read the book. I'm sure after they've read the book, 
and saw what I wrote on the AMA, they were not very interested in moving forward. Um, there was a uh, effort in 2016, so it's a chapter called Missed Opportunities in the Past Decade. So in 2014, uh, important stakeholders from uh, CDC, SAMHSA, doctors uh, and policymakers got together in Washington and discussed and recommended that uh, this needs to be fixed. They provided two pathways and none of the pathways was taken up and the problem continues to grow. Um, I provide a discussion, steps towards solutions. I discuss about three barriers that uh, prevent treatment that leads to overdose. And uh, uh, the last chapter is discussion is not a solution. So I think this is the biggest humanitarian peace project in modern times. We just need a will and desire uh, to fix the problem. And I provide all the solutions in this book. What is wrong and what can be done? I'm not trying to blame anything, but we need to protect our young people, 41 million that are at risk right now per CDC, and they could die at a very fast rate. If we have increase in death rates 30 to 40% and more and more fentanyl keep on coming, these people will not be able to survive. Uh, harm reduction policies, uh, like uh, providing uh, clean needles and, and heroin. Now, if I cross a red light, I'm sure I'm gonna get a ticket if a cop sees me. Heroin is a class one drug. So harm reduction policies is only should be used for very short period of time. Let's say we say, we're going to save everybody, the 41 million people at risk by providing them a short term harm reduction policy, not forever, because these people are the ones that are dying. These people are one that are spreading HIV and hepatitis C, very expensive and other uh, uh, medical conditions that transmit from one person to the other. But then we have to have a goal by January 1st, 2023. Everybody should be in medication assisted treatment. Everybody should have be able to see a doctor, get their suboxone. And once they have a suboxone or buprenorphine, they don't need to go to the street and, and look for lethal dose. Uh, a lot of these people have lost, lost their desire to live. And so they look for, you know, what can give me peace. They don't have jobs, they don't have home, they don't have bed, they don't have food. You know, we see all this stuff on the street and it is uh, not the way, American way of, of living. We need to fix the problem. You know, I, I've traveled a lot around the world. I was in Africa. I remember the city name was Johannesburg. And we drove around this campus, which was more than one by one mile. It had structured housing, which was made, uh, it was not big housing, but it was like individual rooms by like 15 by 20 feet. It had all the amenities and, and, uh, and, and people were clean. They were not filthy. Um, they had toilets in there. So if, if Africa could create that kind of, housing for these people with addictions. Uh, this was 2007, 15 years ago when I visited. Why can't we do that in America and, and provide these people on the street and, and live with dignity and respect? Uh, we need to look at it from a different angle. 
Uh, everybody says, let's think outside the box. I provide the solutions in my book, uh, uh, solutions to fix this problem. So let's see if we can get successful in fixing it. Unbelievable. It's, uh, well, we know um, you're fighting a good fight, um, and God bless you for it. Um, Dr. Arun Gupta, the author of the new book, came out February 2022, um, The Preventable Epidemic and Opioid Epidemic Expert. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Anthony, for inviting me. No problem. And to everyone watching, we'll see you next week. See you later.